The Department of Justice says a man from Texas has pleaded guilty to making violent threats against public officials in the state of Georgia after the 2020 election. Prosecutors there say that Christopher Stark posted the message online on or around January 5th, 2021, a day, of course, as we were just noting, before supporters of the former president stormed the Capitol. According to court documents, Stark threatened to, quote, exterminate unidentified officials and judges. State officials in Georgia, of course, have taken the brunt of some of the worst abuse and the threats, including Republican Governor Brian Kemp, simply for standing up to the former president and his allies and standing in the way of their effort to overturn the election. Joining me now, CNN political analyst Maggie Haberman, also senior political correspondent for The New York Times. Maggie, I mean, we have been talking about what Kemp said today, basically resisting efforts by Trump and his allies to, to have a special session to investigate Bonnie Willis, but there was another thing he said about Trump and the way he's running his campaign without mentioning Trump by name that was really notable. And I can tell you that as long as I'm governor, we are going to stay focused on the issues that help all Georgians. That is the way you win races. That is the way you move forward. Things like cutting taxes, doing $2 billion tax rebates, suspending the gas tax, that saved our families and our businesses $1.7 billion. Teacher pay raises, law enforcement pay raises, going after street gangs, not focusing on the past or some grifter scam that somebody's doing to help them raise a few dollars into their campaign account. Grifters scam? I mean, it's subtle, but you know, if you listen closely, <laughs> you can figure out what he's talking about. Uh, that is, uh, so I actually hadn't heard that clip until you just played it. Uh, it's really, really striking, and it's striking on a couple of fronts. Kemp is someone, as you know, who not only resisted Donald Trump's efforts to subvert the election results in 2020, he is somebody who has repeatedly pushed back on this over the last two years. And he is someone who defeated a Trump attempt to try to take him down in a mm -hmm. primary. And so it is meaningful coming from him because he is a Republican who donors are focused on, who some Republican voters are focused on as a future face of the party. Um, the, the fact that he is zeroing in on Trump's uh, use of his super PAC, which is filled, or was once upon a time, filled with money, now it doesn't have very much money in it at all, filled with money that he raised in the days and weeks after the election on his claims that he needed money to combat widespread fraud that he insisted existed, which was never proven and which has been debunked widely, that he is singling that out in such stark terms is quite revealing about where he sees the race right now. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of buildup there about what Republicans wish they were talking right. about, but then he calls right. it, I mean, grifter scam. And it made me remember of just a few weeks ago, he met with Governor DeSantis. He met with former Vice President Pence. I mean, he's been talking to these 2024 hopefuls quietly, but they've been talking. Yeah, he, he is looking at an alternative to Donald Trump. Whether he is going to actually do something more, I think remains to be seen. Again, there's two names that keep coming up among donors, and, and donors are not great uh, predictors, <laughs> right, of where Republican primary politics are going, as we have seen at least over the last two cycles, 2012 a little bit more so. Uh, but you hear Brian Kemp and you hear Glenn Youngkin. And so I, I think that Brian Kemp has been pretty careful about how he is projecting himself and casting himself, but I do think he wants to be part of a broader conversation about the future of the party. And you see that, as you said, in what he's what he's saying Republicans should be discussing. Yeah. Trump also, back in April, he sat for a seven-hour deposition with the New York AG's office and their lawsuit against him. 
we just got to actually read this lawsuit. I mean, there's a lot to it, but there's a few moments that stick out. You know, in one, and of course this is going to, to trial in a few months, but he's asked about the relationship with his company and who's the one with the ultimate decision-making authority. And I noticed he said no. And the AG's office asked, who would that be? And he said, my son Eric is much more involved with it than I am. I've been doing other things. And then he said, you know, he's involved in major final decisions, you know, whatever. That was his quote. I mean, when you read that, what do you think he's saying about Eric Trump's responsibility for the decisions they make? Well, look, I think that Eric Trump became, in many ways, the face of the company and the person who was dealing with the company while Trump was in the White House. He would often tell people to talk to Eric. But there was always a question of how much of a remove Trump was putting himself at with the with the business. I know that my colleagues and I worked on uh, some matters related to that a, a couple of years back. He is still making Eric the front person in the context of this lawsuit, which you know is, I, I think, notable because he is often looking to put other people forward. Now, whether that is actually valid, because that's how it was over the last couple of years, I don't know enough about what the situation was like, but it is notable to hear him not present himself as at the top. Yeah, saying someone else is the, yep. the responsible party. I mean, this transcript just kind of goes everywhere, and it seems like the attorneys doing the questioning, like, they had difficulty getting questions in, but at one point, Trump was saying, you know, they were asking about his business, and he was saying, quote, I was very busy, I was considered, you know, this is the most important job in the world, saving millions of lives. I think you would have a nuclear holocaust if I didn't deal with North Korea. I think you would have a nuclear war if I weren't elected, and I think you might have a nuclear war now if you want to know the truth. I mean, that's not a new sentiment for him, but the yeah. fact that this is something he's saying while he's giving a deposition for under oath. under oath for this lawsuit, I mean. It's just, it's an amazing distillation of this conflation of his presidency with his business and everything else in his life. And as you know, there is this incredible flattening effect with Donald Trump where everything becomes kind of the same and all connected and all related. And I think that's what you're seeing there. It is striking because it, you know, among other things, I'm not sure what it has to do with this lawsuit into his company, um, but he has often projected himself as sort of bigger than what issue is, is at hand with one of his lawsuits. What I was struck by reading some of the meanderings in this deposition, as you, as you noted, is it reminded me a lot of the transcript of a deposition in a lawsuit he brought unsuccessfully. He lost it against Tim O'Brien, uh, the journalist mm -hmm. for libel. 20 years ago, where there was lots of, you know, sort of digressions and discursive talking and boasts and talking about his feelings about his wealth as if that was really the most significant factor. Um, I, you listen, you look at this transcript and you can see how much he misses the power he had while he was president. That's what stands out to me as he's talking about North Korea. Hmm. Which he is obviously seeking to reclaim. Indeed. Maggie Haberman. Thank you as always. Thank you.